Good morning and welcome to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. This morning I'll be sitting down with a local author and friend, Nathan Smithrow, who's going to be talking to us about a book that he wrote called The Foregone War, the story of the brave Keystone Grenadiers. We'll do that after we return after these messages. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by our friends at Community County Services for local family-based mental health. Each day in Pennsylvania, there's at least 15,000 children taken from their homes due to abuse or neglect. Foster parents provide homes to these needy children. Lifespan Family Services trains, supports, and compensates foster parents to address this problem. Call Lifespan Family Services today at 375-1314 or drop in at the Dubois Mall or at Lane Avenue in Punxsutawney. Lifespan Family Services, helping people help children every day. 375-1314. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. This morning, my guest is Nathan Smithrow. Uh, Nathan, you're a local author from Brockway. I've had the privilege of meeting you and reading your book, The Foregone War, The Story of the Brave Keystone Grenadiers. Uh, Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's a very great pleasure to be here, and I've been looking forward to this for a good long while. Yes, so have I, and I know uh, my schedule has been quite busy, so I appreciate you hanging in there to uh, get this scheduled with me. Greatly appreciated. But let's start with who is Nathan Smithrow. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you became an author? Well, I was born in uh, Brockway, Pennsylvania. I am 24 years old, and uh, my history background starts when fourth grade came around, and I started reading more about into the uh, military history of our national country, and I just became a lot more fond with it. Like, and I stayed in study hall and studied like a good little nerd, and now I'm a public author from Brockway. I wrote my very first book about my great ancestors who commanded a grenadier company during the War of 1812, a, a war that has been forgotten by many Americans to this day, except me. Yeah, no, I had heard you speak once at an event that we were both at, and as a veteran myself, I definitely felt you, when you were speaking to us, talk about how forgotten it really is and how many Americans really don't know what this war is. So maybe we should start there. Can you give us a little history on the war? Well, the War of 1812 was started by many reasons. More impressment of the uh, American sailors Uh, to fight against the French impressment by the Royal Navy and also rumors of British military occupiers within the Western backcountry making the Indians from the Mohawk to the Shawanese to fight against the Americans who are trying to bring settlements into the Western backcountry. And the Americans, especially the uh, Republican Party, the Warhawks, they felt more threatened by this than the uh, Democratic side of the United States government. And President James Madison was the first U.S. president of the United States to declare war in the 19th century against Great Britain and Canada, and thus causing one of the uh, earliest American military blunders with the fall of Detroit, the Battle of uh, Queenston Heights, and Chrysler's Farm. Yeah, fascinating history. And I would bet, uh, Nathan, um, most Americans, including myself, can't name all of those battles like you've just rattled them off. So I appreciate your passion for this. So tell me, why did you why did you choose to write this particular book? 
Well, I've been a real big fan of uh, Bernard Cornwell, and when he wrote the books about a British rifleman during the Napoleonic Wars called Sharp, I read the books, I've seen the TV shows, the TV movies about the British rifleman and the 95th Rifles, and it just got me thinking. I actually found out that I had ancestors who actually fought during the War of 1812, and it just got me thinking I might as well share this especially during a time when the, a young childish nation was on the uh, threat of uh, becoming practically extinct, had we just fought our very first war of independence against the British military and the Canadian allies. And with that, I feel like it was my right and my duty. And Little-known fact, I was actually born on the actual day the war started, just not the same year, June 18th, 1998, and so that was the same day the war started, so I felt like it was right, it was my duty to actually tell this story, which I had learned from my family telling me stories throughout my youth. Very fascinating, and so growing up, you heard these stories, you obviously have a passion for history. Um, you get involved in reenactments and those types of things. Tell us about that. Well, I started out doing Civil War reenacting when I believe I was in my early teens. I was with the uh, 2nd Brigade Sharpshooters, and then I went to a reenactment as a World War II American soldier with the 99th Infantry Division, 393rd Regiment, and we did the uh, Battle of Namagan Bridge at TDU, Pennsylvania. I believe that might have been 2016, 2015. I honestly cannot remember the date. And then I, once the uh, pandemic uh, came around, that's when I have had my eyes on His Majesty's 43rd Regiment of Foot and also the 2nd Pennsylvania. They're a uh, double combined unit. So basically, like if we were to be doing the Monmouth Courthouse battle in the summer, we would be the British and possibly we would be the Americans at Brandywine Creek as the 2nd Pennsylvania. And uh, I had just recently, back in September, did the uh, 245th anniversary of the Battle of Brandywine Creek as the uh, 43rd Regiment of Foot, and we had a massive turnout and going to these reenactments, portraying history for everyone to watch and to learn, and actually just living it. It, it just feels, just words can't describe the feeling. It's just so empowering that I'm giving history while I'm also experiencing it from the uh, boots of a regular who fought against George Washington and his Continental Army on September 11th, 1777. Yeah, no, I think it'd be extremely interesting. I've always been a fan of history. I must be honest, though, I haven't done a reenactment of any kind. I've been to Gettysburg. I've seen reenactments, um, but I it's always gone through my head what that would be like. So apparently you really like it and enjoy it, and you still do reenactments now? Absolutely. And you're going to do more in the future? Absolutely. The 245th anniversary of Mama Courthouse is coming up real soon. And so you'll be a part of that? Absolutely. That's great. All right, so back to your book. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the core values behind your book, like what Absolutely. that entails? How would I describe my book? Well, it's about a uh, 300 men, women, and children from the Keystone State who donned the bearskin for America in the and these grenadiers were intent to stop at nothing to help our great nation retain its freedom, which had just been won just less than four decades prior. 
a freedom that we all cherish and still cherish to these day. These grenadiers were the most famous soldiers on the battlefield. These grenadiers, from the moment they wake till the moment they sleep, they dedicate themselves to whatever they pursue, from marching in the battle or on the parade grounds, to drilling with their muskets, to the bayonet, or even hand-to-hand for that matter. And every grenadier had strict physical requirements. You couldn't even have a filling in one of your teeth. You had to be very tough, you had to be very loyal, and they had to have been in the most perfect physical condition because they were the upper crust, they, they were the elite. They must be able to march at any pace at day or night. They are required to fire more than three rounds to four rounds a minute in any weather. Must be in very great health and very well educated. The age limit practically was various from the ages of six years old to the, the youngest and 24 years old being to the oldest. They were known as the younglings of, of the Keystone State. The Keystone's own elite marching band, made up of the youngest grenadiers, these bandsmen had also strict physical requirements. Every bandsman had to have every march down and labeled by memory. These drummers and buglers had to have every single battlefield command memorized so that when in the heat of battle, little people do not even realize how important bandsmen were to the American and British and French and so on and so on, their armies to that day. Because in the heat of battle, when officers were either shot or wounded or they couldn't see through to the fog and they couldn't even hear because of the roar of the cannons, the roar of musket fire, the screams of the wounded, they needed to be able to have every other command labeled whether to call for artillery, infantry, get up and eat, retreat, charge, in good order. And on and off the battlefield, the noble 5th platoon, as they became to be known, they were the main source of entertainment for the 76th Pennsylvania. They played famous marches such as Yankee Doodle, Over the Hills and Far Away, the Liberty Song, and so on and so on. And the officers and non-commissioned officers were also under a lot of pressure themselves. They had to make sure that from day to day their soldiers' needs were tended to, their food, their clothing, their pay, and supplies for the battles in the future that they will take place in. But they also, I've read and heard stories of like many British officers and American officers for that matter throughout history who have, well, more like the 18th and 19th century, who actually, for example, Lord Wellington of the British Army during the Napoleonic Wars, he referred to his soldiers as the scum of the earth, but yet they would also do his bidding and follow his commands by their duty to him and duty to their king and queen of England. The Keystone Grenadiers, however, They treated every one of their soldiers like they were family, like they were friends, and indeed a lot of them shared the same family names. They tended to their mental needs because the war had taken a major, the the war had taken a toll on them from time to time. Every single battle they fought, it also challenged their physical and mentalness during every single fight. And the Keystone Zone were practically the living definition of blood, sweat, and tears. And they, whenever they were wounded or killed on the battlefield, every single ounce of sweat from their brows and their backs and the tears they shed, whether they had lost a family member or a friend during a battle or when they were crying from tears of joy to making a monumental success on the battlefield or completing a major milestone within their life, they were the complete and utter definition of a family company. Yeah, that is 
a very detailed uh, look into your book. Can you tell uh, tell our listeners um, who are we following in this book? Well, my great ancestor was a veteran of the 4th Infantry Regiment under Major General Henry Williamson. Oh, uh, Harrison. That's okay. William Harrison. William Harrison. And uh, they he fought his first battle on... He actually enlisted on July 4th, 1808, and fought his very first battle as an NCO, a sergeant major, at the Indiana Territory on the southern back road. And they, he was ambushed. His whole entire regiment was ambushed by Mohawk and Shawanese Indians. He was the only sergeant major left standing after the ambush was over. With him and only 50 uh, grenadiers left, no uh, infantry, he was the main leader of that specific platoon because he was the when the major Daniel Camrick his commanding their commanding major of the uh, whole entire regiment was killed and he was given the specific command of making sure that the last of the soldiers got out alive and after defeating the Indians and also a small band of loyalist followers who actually commanded the Mohawk and the Shawanese after capturing them he would go back home, but he thought that his military career was practically over. And when June 18th came around on 1812, the United States had just entered their first 19th century war. And a major of the Canadian militia, Major Xander, having been refused to buy food from him and his comrades, his four best friends, Celestia Rose, Daisy Rose, Timmy Miller, and Brittany Benson, who he would personally train to be his NCOs within the 76 Pennsylvania, had burnt down their farm and also, due to their actions, were later tracked down, ambushed, all of them were captured or killed. Oh. Yeah, very tragic, but that's who the the book opens up with, right? We meet them from page one, essentially. You meet them practically uh, halfway in. You basically, what I wanted to do was, is I wanted to introduce them when they were already soldiers. And this starts out at the Battle of Chippewa, July 5th, 1814, which was their very first major battle during the War of 1812. Had over the past uh, couple of years prior, they had fought in smaller skirmishes against Canadian militia and a small other bands of British royals, and they would ambush supply lines, ambush camps, defend other fortresses, commit other types of uh, unlivable conditions for the enemy, making their lives practically a complete misery. And when the Battle of Chippewa first came around, that is when their training and their stability on the field of battle was actually put to the test, and they managed to succeed. They were also involved at the battles of Lundy's Lane, which was one of the bloodiest and most costly battles known as the uh, a terrible night for officers, because many British and American officers were killed or wounded, including both British and American commanding generals. But they were managed to walk away with only a few wounded. How they f- walked away from that, history can and only tell, and also this book can tell you. 
Yes, it can, and it's an amazing story. Can you tell us maybe just briefly, like, what's your favorite part of the book, or what do you find most fascinating? Or, well, I would say, uh, I would say the uh, campaign that leads up to uh, the Battle of Bladensburg, Maryland, on August twenty fourth, eighteen fourteen, had they already had already fought against British regulars at the battles Chippewa, Lundy's Lane and a few small skirmishes on the way down to help defend Washington, D.C. from the threat of a British military land and sea invasion from Major General Robert Ross. It was their very first time that they had actually been pitted against British elite. The, these veterans under the command of Major General Robert Ross, the commander of the land-based invasion force, he was a veteran of the Peninsula War, and they had fought against some of the best troops in the world, the French, and during the Battle of Bladensburg, Maryland, although they made some success on the battlefield that day, they were they were completely overrun, and no thanks to the uh, no thanks to the militias who had broken their lines, particularly quite quite frantically, especially during the battles of uh, Kipps Bay, Prip- Princeton, and uh, Guilford Courthouse during the American Revolutionary War. This had been a major common occurrence, and when they saw the uh, invulnerability, they, they thought they were invincible because they had yet to lose a battle during their two years of war so far. And the British soldiers, when they fought against Major Gen- when they fought against Major Simus Mitrovich and his men, they were actually put to the test as well because the uh, grenadiers had actually they were able to stand a chance. However, the British soldiers had fought against the French, and they were just amazed, however, at how slight the resistance was from the Americans. One British soldier supposed to have said, I expected more from Yankee Doodle. And with the, uh, their lines broken, General Win- William Winder, the commander of the uh, American Defense Force at Bladensburg, he ordered his men to retreat, and the British said that the Americans, they've run so fast, so some of our men had suffered heat stroke trying to keep up with them. And the Americans all ran away, except for the Keystone Grenadiers. They tried to delay and give Washington, D.C. and its populace, especially the President of the United States and his wife, Dolly Madison, who would be also nicknamed as one of the uh, founding heroes of the War of 1812, for had not for her, President George Washington's original portrait, which she had personally removed from the White House, it would have been burnt along with the White House as well. Back to uh, the, uh, pro- the couple hours before that. The Americans had run away, but the Keystone Grenadiers decided to give Washington, D.C. a little bit more time to live, to be able to get the civilians out. So they decided to use their guerrilla warfare tactics. You see, although they fought in the uh, traditional linear warfare style where two companies or regiments would march 100 yards from each other and then blast away at each other, that was their version of war. However, the Keystone Grenadiers were smart. Using the tactics of the Indians, they hid in the grass due to their green uniforms that they decided to wear. They didn't want to wear traditional blue or white-styled or gray uniforms. 
They wanted to adapt to the grass and to the bushes and to the trees and fight like Indians. And it achieved great success for them whenever they fought in that type of traditional guerrilla warfare style. They were able to cause hellish conditions to Major General Robert Ross's advance party, but they knew, as well as every other soldier knew, that the defense of Washington was a failure, and their its destruction was inevitable. Yeah, fascinating history there, and love that you brought up uh, President Madison's wife saving that portrait. I mean, talk about being thoughtful in the middle of a of an attack, but that saved great history for the United States of America. When we return, we're going to continue our conversation, Nathan. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by our friends at Lifespan Family Services, located in the Dubois Mall for local adoption and foster care services. Hi, folks. Are you having problems with your child at home? Is their behavior a problem? Are you at your wit's end? If so, call us for more information. Community County Services. We provide family-based mental health. Call for information at 371-8066. We work to help you keep your family together in a healthy way. Community County Services, 371-8066. All right. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement, having a great historical conversation with local author Nathan Smithrow, who wrote The Forgone War, the story of the brave Keystone Grenadiers, Great conversation, Nathan. Um, when we left off, we were talking about President Madison's wife, but let's uh, talk about this. You've written, you've completed this book. I believe you're working on another book. You would like to turn this into a miniseries, as I understand it? Yes, I do. I intend to, because it, it's been a long time since 1958 with the Buccaneer that told a war story about the War of 1812. I am a strong believer in historical accuracy and historical authenticity. And when I've had a few other people read this book, they told me about like how graphic the book is. And well, I wanted to tell basically a war story about how I, I don't want this like story to make people feel not just proud like I don't want people to feel like overjoyed I want them to feel anxious I want them to feel scared I want them to feel how warfare was just so terrible back then and I just feel like if this book was to be put to film I feel like it would be outstanding and I feel like it would just bring this country back to its patriotic roots to help restore this country to its former and rightful glory. And as long as I was writing this book as well, I was also even writing the script to it as well. And if I were to have to say it, it would be two seasons, 18 episodes altogether, just to make it justice. And uh, the difference is between this book and the and if I would have to give an example, The Patriot with Mel Gibson. The difference between my book is that the British military, you can't be one of the greatest military superpowers by being nice about it. But if you're going to tell a story, at least tell about something that they actually did, like the burning of Washington, D.C. Of course, that was our sort of our fault as well, because we burned down the Canadian Parliament after the Battle of York. And if you want to know more about that, read the book. But 
There has been no recorded history of any kind, at least to my knowledge, of a British cavalry officer burning innocent men, women, and children inside of a church. That moment right there is where the Patriot can no longer say that it's based on historical accuracy. But if you were to read my book, the British burning down all of Washington and then being ravaged by Mother Nature through a hurricane and a tornado, now that is something that people are actually going to believe. You want the people to believe in your story, and you want them to realize that this is real history, not just some made-up nonsense. Don't get me wrong. The Patriot is a good film. But the historical inaccuracies, I can write a whole book just depicting how wrong it is that. Right, and I hope if your book ever becomes a movie that uh, we'd be able to adhere to the historical accuracies of your book. I believe our readers are really going to like your book. I know I've enjoyed it. I have a signed copy. Probably not everyone can get one, but I appreciate that, Nathan. And uh, as far as folks buying a copy, it's my understanding they can grab it on Amazon. I'm a Kindle guy. I know it's available on Kindle. It's available at iUniverse.com, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Walmart, wherever. Any Check even your local bookstore. Yes. And so we really just greatly appreciate you coming on and giving us all of your historical knowledge. I feel like we could talk for hours. But Nathan Smithrow, good luck on your book. And it'll make for an excellent Christmas gift. The Foregone War, the story of the brave Keystone Grenadiers. Thank you, Nathan Smithrow. Thank you.